This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda, and you're listening to Think Retail. Virtual and augmented reality are two of the most exciting technological developments of the last 20 years. Already widely used as a training tool in the military, healthcare, and professional sports, VR has many potential uses in a consumer-facing industry such as retail. Augmented reality is already sprouting up with fun extras like augmented packaging um, to practical uses such as wayfinding through a store or checking to see how an item of furniture might look in your living room. As exciting as these technologies are, a lot of us don't really have a great understanding of the full implications. Today, my guest, Brian Banton, a designer whose work in virtual and augmented reality has been put to good use at Facebook, is going to talk us through what's actually possible and how to plan to get there. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Can, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about you, your journey as a designer, and how you ended up at Facebook? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I started out studying traditional graphic design. I did a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in design here in Toronto. And after I graduated, I worked at a couple studios, like traditional graphic design studios, where I worked with clients in like the education sector and the arts sector. And it, it was really fun. And I kind of really enjoyed that part of my career. Um, but I felt like Toronto as a market for me at that time was like a little bit small. And I was really excited about the idea of going to New York because it was like this big, cool kind of design center. And I was lucky enough to um, land a job at Pentagram, which is like a big branding firm. Mm-hmm. Um, they have offices all over the world. And I, so I was in the New York office and I was there. It was a really exciting time in my life. And I worked there for actually only about a year because I, I realized that like the scope of the work, as exciting as, as it was to work for Pentagram, the scope of the work was like a little bit too narrow for me. It was essentially like design a logo, put it on a business card. And I felt right. like I wanted to kind of branch out and do different kinds of work. So I decided to take a leap into what's called product design, and which is like working with digital products like websites and mobile experiences. And I applied to a company called Frog, which was very kind of well-known for having designed the first Apple computers back in the 80s. And their approach to design was quite different from what I had experienced before. They were very much emphasized um, human-centered design. And so these processes were quite different. And it was like a really kind of big learning curve for me. But what was super interesting was I got to work with a a variety of different types of people, strategists, UX designers, uh, design technologists. And one of the first, actually the first project I worked on was it was a industrial design project for a digital jukebox. So this jukebox would go into bars and it would have a digital interface and people could like pick songs that they liked. And but what was really interesting about it is that when we presented it, we presented it to the client in VR. And that was the first time that at, at Frog that anyone had ever done anything like that. And it turned out to be a, a super successful presentation. And the client was like very kind of overwhelmed by the experience of like being able to engage with this product we were designing in VR before we actually built it. So that kind of got me really interested in VR. And while I was at Frog, I started dabbling in augmented reality as well. And after about two and a half years of working at Frog, I just kind of randomly got recruited by Oculus. And I thought like, this is an amazing opportunity. I love kind of exploring, 
you know, making things, um, making products, making experiences in like a variety of different kind of media. And like, I was already excited about VR. So I, you know, jumped at the opportunity to take that job. Great. So I, I thought maybe it'd be fun to start off with something a little bit on the fun side. Can you tell me your favorite application of either AR or VR to date by a brand? I think that's like a tough one for me. So I think brands, as I understand, like kind of retail brands, I don't think they've fully leveraged the technology yet. And I think that like the most compelling experiences so far have been in the fields that you kind of mentioned at the top, like training, healthcare, sports, military, et cetera. But there are some, like I think IKEA, their Space 10 Innovation Lab is working on some really cool stuff. I think you mentioned this where you can um, drop furniture in your house and see what it looks like. And they've actually just released, I, I'm not sure if it's in public yet, but they're working on a newer version where you can actually kind of fill your whole house with furniture. I think the current version, you can just drop one piece of furniture in, but now you can design your entire space um, with IKEA furniture and augmented reality. And I think that's like super cool. Um, I think gaming has like a lot of cool things like Half-Life Alex was like a watershed moment in AAA VR gaming. And like, that's a super exciting um, experience in VR. Um, there's this app called Acute Art, which is like, a, it's like a curated AR app for engaging with art. And there's um, per a particular artist cause that I think he just, I think he just sold an NTF for like millions of dollars or something. Wow. But he has like, he also has like a, an AR experience on acute art. And I, I really enjoy that personally. It's, it's cute. It's not like kind of earth shattering, but it's a, it's a fun experience. Right. I think in North America, especially we're a little behind the curve because there are some, there have been some interesting things done in China, especially, but in North America, definitely the consumer facing applications are definitely not realized yet. Yeah, for sure. And and I've also been in a bubble working in, in the Bay Area for a while. So I, I've been like, I'm mostly exposed to like what we've been doing there. And I haven't actually seen like a ton of consumer facing experiences outside of, you know, what I deal with day to day. So if we were to just sort of talk practically speaking and understanding that it's not anywhere near where it could be, what are, what are the most common consumer facing uses that we're currently seeing? I think like the most obvious one is the like face filters on Instagram and Snapchat. Um, people engage with that like every day. And I'm not sure if people refer to it or understand it as augmented reality, but like when you kind of take a picture of yourself with a, like a face filter on Instagram or Snapchat, like that's augmented reality. And that's probably like the most, it's almost ubiquitous experience yeah. of augmented reality. I think like there's gaming, gaming is like the big thing in virtual reality. Like the kind of most dominant experience in virtual reality is, is playing video games. Um, but there's also like home and fashion related experiences. Like I mentioned before, there's um, Ikea's AR experience. Um, I actually, I just moved from the Bay Area back to the Toronto area. And I experienced that I actually didn't, I kind of discovered in the move was that there's VR experiences for real estate. So I was looking for a house in the city and I live in right now, I live in Oshawa and it's an hour from the city and it's COVID and we can't, you can't visit houses that are on the market anyways. But I discovered that I could actually go into a house in virtual reality and look inside the house and see what it's like, kind of feel the experience of being there without actually going there. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, that's actually, uh, it was a surprising, but also super compelling, interesting use case for VR for me. And in terms of fashion, 
there's a big thing with shoes right now. So there's this, an app called Wanna Kicks. So there's others where you can actually try on sneakers, like Nike sneakers. You just kind of point your your phone at your feet, and and the sneakers kind of augment onto your feet, and you kind of get a sense of what those shoes would look like if you were wearing them, which I think is kind of fun. And then there's like, in addition to that, there's me- lots of media stuff. So there's like New York Times uses is creates content in augmented reality, so you can kind of click out of their stories and view like augmented reality experiences on your phone. I think they're partnered with with Spark AR at Facebook. And so they kind of augment their stories through these augmented reality experiences. And they also have VR experiences where they have reporters embedded in say another continent and they're walking through a town that might be war-torn and they'll have 360 video. So you can kind of be immersed in that experience. So if we were to talk about some of the misconceptions that you face when you're you're talking about AR and VR to, to clients or or challenges that are maybe preventing us from getting to that, you know, the, the kind of experience that's possible, what what are some of those common challenges that you see? I think there's a couple things. I think on the one side, there's like, especially with I would say with virtual reality, there's like a kind of an aversion. I think people have. I was working in the office down at the Facebook campus in, in Menlo Park and a friend of mine from Toronto came down and I want, I was like kind of showing her like what I did at work and I put on the VR headset and she was like, you look like such a nerd right now. And for me, it was weird because like, I've been immersed in this bubble where everyone's always wearing headsets. So it's just like, it's normal. It's like everyone just wears a headset. And it doesn't look weird, but she was like, Oh, you look like such a nerd right now. But then she tried on the headset and had the experience. And she was like, wow, this is amazing. So I think there's like a little bit of like a, there's like a, a little bit of a roadblock there where people have a kind of idea that it's this nerdy thing that, you know, and you have this bulky headset on you and it, it, it might look a little bit uncomfortable. And, and that's something that kind of might prevent people from kind of, trying the experience but i find every time someone puts on a headset they have i mean especially with the more modern headsets they have like a really compelling experience the other the other side of it is like kind of the opposite like there's an aversion to it on one side but on the other side there's people are really excited about it and they they want to they think that it can just like do everything and right. and we're kind of like early stages of ar vr and even when i started at, at facebook like I'd be like, oh, we should have like live streaming 360 3D video so that my mom can see her grandkids in real time. And the engineers kind of just rolled their eyes because it probably wasn't the first time someone suggested something like that, that technologically wasn't possible. It's just like the, the kind of computer performance to do that on a headset, do kind of like really immersive 3D 360 stuff wasn't available yet. And may, right. I mean, at this point is starting to emerge, but, but people think like, oh, you can you know, we can just do everything. Um, and they want it to happen now. And it doesn't, you know, it kind of, we're like at a certain point right now where we can do some things, but not everything. And I'm even, I'm working with a kind of institution of higher learning and they're talking about how to integrate VR into their education. And they, you know, they're suggesting let's have classes in VR and like, which is a kind of interesting idea, but it's just totally not feasible right now. Um, and like, even like when I, you know, during the pandemic, when I was working with my colleagues at Facebook, we would kind of have meetings in VR, but they didn't last long because it's just like, it's not there yet in terms of the experience. Right. That's, that's exactly what I was going to ask you is like, how is, how big is that gap? But also how quickly do you think that gap's going to close? 
I think there's like a couple of things. I think it, depending on what you do um, or what you want to do, the gap is bigger or smaller. And like once you're familiar with what the constraints are, uh, there's a lot to work with. I think there's like two things. There's like gap. There's the technology and then there's like the user experience. In terms of the technology, I think, you know, the form factors of the devices, they're still quite bulky. Uh, most VR headsets you have to connect to a computer, which is expensive, and then you're kind of tethered to this computer, which is not necessarily, necessarily ideal. Um, there are the mobile versions of the headsets like the Quest and the Quest 2, which are kind of great experiences, but they're not perfect yet. The headsets are still a little bit uncomfortable. The compute power is like maybe not as at the place it should be. Um, so there are kind of technological developments that need to be made. And then on the kind of user experience side, you know, one of the problems, or I wouldn't say problem challenges that we were facing at, at Facebook is that we're creating unprecedented experiences. So we actually don't, we don't, there's not a lot of information on how people can navigate through a space in VR or like kind of transport from like one world into another world. Like in theory and in movies, it's fine, but actually making that experience like an intuitive, like kind of um, delightful experience is something that we're continuously working on. So that there's like a kind of a slight gap there. And like AR glasses are not really a thing yet. And I think like when AR glasses become a thing, then um, I think a lot of the tech companies think that they're gonna, we're not gonna have phones anymore. We're gonna just have AR glasses. Um, but that's like 10 years down the road, I would say. Right. So I think that like they're, you know, we're making like iterative improvements over the next decade. And I think, the idea, I think a lot of the tech firms are betting that in 10 years, maybe AR glasses will will kind of take over and phones won't be a thing anymore. But I think they're also like kind of baking in some kind of, you know, un, unforeseen development. Like we're, we're still trying to like, they're like, there's lots of R&D going on and, and you can never predict if, when there's going to be like this kind of quantum leap. But I think a lot of people are betting within the next 10 years. Right. So Right now, if you've got some sort of virtual or augmented reality experience in store, that is enough on its own. It doesn't even matter how good it is. It will draw people there. But as this becomes more common, the bar is going to rise. So if we're just talking about, you know, something in the physical environment that is sort of a one-off experience or even online, where do you see, so if, if we're at like a very, very sort of basic level right now, um, what would be the next step? Well, I think it depends on how you look at the experience. So I don't, I've never experienced this, but Selfridges in London has an in-store AR experience. I saw the case study of it online. I think a, there was a firm either based in New York or London that did it. And it, it looks really cool. Like, just like for me as a designer, I look at it, I'm like, well, that's really cool. I'd love to kind of experience that thing. But again, not having experienced it, only seeing the case study, I don't know what like value it offers a customer other than it looks really cool. Mm -hmm. And so I think like the approach to, you know, leveraging AR and VR, um, I think is to think about like, what's the value proposition and what people problems are we trying to solve? that's really going to open up use cases for having AR experiences in stores. I think like we had, we're at a point where there's enough technology to kind of create those experiences, but we really got to think about like what value are we offering consumers? And that could be a number of things. It could be something really utilitarian. Like if you go into a shoe store 
and you know it's a busy place and there's not a lot of you know there's not enough kind of store clerks to help every customer that's in the store can the user just go up to the shoe that they like and have some kind of augmented experience that gives them all the information they need about the shoe like this is for long distance runners versus like medium distance runners or the sole has like arch support that you need but all that's in an augmented experience so you don't need to wait for like someone serving you to help you which is like kind of very utilitarian um but but there's also um you know more emotive like storytelling use cases where maybe someone really cares about the environment and they want to see that the shoe that they're going to buy has like a net zero carbon footprint. And so if you have this augmented experience, augmented experience that kind of shows you the journey of how the shoe was created and like how it got to the store, you know, that might be a really emotive kind of experience for someone and, and kind of make them feel really good about buying the shoe. Those are just off the top of my head. My point really is like, I think in terms of the technology, I think it's, that's not so much the problem of like creating a great in-store experience. I think it's just really like, what do we want to communicate? Like, how do we want to help the consumer uh, make the decisions that they need to make? Yeah, I think right now people really don't have a sense of how, of how to integrate it based on a consumer need. It's more of like this uh, exciting thing that they're using as a way to draw people. And I think robots have really been, it's a similar thing where, you know, it's this exciting new thing. We've got Pepper the robot as a robot greeter, but it hasn't really solved a consumer need. So after you've seen it once or twice, you're kind of over it. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So are there any unexpected uses that you would want to draw retailers attention to? I mean, to the experience that I had that was unexpected, which I mentioned above, was like being able to like enter a space like uh, I'm looking for a house and I can't visit the house because it's either too far away or we're in a pandemic. And being able to explore that house in VR for me was like a little surprising in a delightful way. I think the IKEA stuff is kind of cool. I mean, it's not so surprising. I think everyone kind of it seems like such an obvious use case, but I think that it's like for a retailer for to be able to provide people with an experience to see the product without having to have it physically there, I think is, is like such a great use case. And it relates back to the experience I had when I was at Frog and we were presenting this, um, you know, industrial design object to the client and we didn't want to, it was really expensive to build a prototype of that. So we did it in VR and it was very cheap and very portable. Like we were able to the client, we were in New York and the client came to New York, but then we also went to Montreal because they were based in Montreal and we were able to give um, the company, other kind of executives of the company, the same VR experience. So when you can like, you know, give a customer an experience in their own place or kind of like remotely, and it's of a fidelity that kind of really communicates what as a brand you want to communicate, I think that's a really great opportunity for retailers. Interesting that you mention um, prototypes because in retail, the, the building of prototypes when you're redesigning a store has really fallen to the wayside simply because it is so time consuming and expensive. And we actually built a virtual prototype for a client to overcome this in, in one of our Chinese clients because you know, for that exact reason, the cost of building the prototype and testing it with customers is just so exorbitant, but you could build a virtual prototype and have customers experience that and give you feedback and then make some changes based on the feedback that you get using a virtual prototype, which is just a fraction of the cost and the time. So interesting that you brought that up. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, that's not something that was on my train of thought right now, but it is totally legitimate. Like, it's like a really great use case is like prototyping a space, especially, you know, in terms of like, you know, building a retail experience or environment. Um, yeah, for sure. Way cheaper. And the experience in VR is like the fidelity is just so great that it, it it's almost like, yeah, for bang for your buck, you're not going to find a better way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Another experience that it's not strictly VR, but it could translate into VR is Balenciaga did, I believe they did their fall, winter 21, uh, 2021 campaign um, kind of fashion shows in a video game and they put it online. And that, the reason I bring it up is that it's like a video game, but it, the way that they built it, they use a game engine. It could easily translate into a VR experience. And I think like being able for brands to be able to like have their runway shows in VR so that like it's accessible to anyone around the world is a, it's like another great way to connect with, with potential customers. Yeah, I'm really interested in how um, video games have started to become this alternative space. And it's not really technically virtual or augmented reality, but it is a, a virtual environment where brands have been have sort been of dabbling and there's there have been you know music concerts and different types of events being held in Minecraft and Fortnite and, and it, you know it's it is an interesting way for brands to to engage in a especially during a pandemic but then also to be able to reach a wider audience. Yeah, totally. I mean, we can call like video games and ARVR like simulations. They're all kind of like simulations. And I think that Facebook Oculus Quest 2 has sold far beyond what the expectations were of, of the company. And it's becoming to the point where it's like they're trying to create like a self-sustaining um, environment for, for VR. And I think as more mainstream these kind of game experiences will translate into vr experiences yeah absolutely. i think that's i personally think it's inevitable yeah i i absolutely agree especially as the cost for the technology decreases it'll everybody will want it um can you just tell us a little bit about what um uh, more specifically what you were doing at facebook yeah so i've kind of mentioned facebook and oculus a few times um i was a designer working on the oculus vr platform and i the time during I was there for about two and a half years, just over two and a half years. And I worked on the Oculus Quest and I, well, I worked on the teams that launched the Oculus Quest and the, and the Oculus Quest 2. And a lot of the work that I was doing was to try to help build the infrastructure of this new kind of experience for people. So like I mentioned before, there's not a lot of precedence or like kind of design patterns that exist for VR. So I was part of the team that was trying to think of like, how are people going to use this? How can we bring value to, to users? And then how can we build an infrastructure that other people can create experiences and put them on VR? Ooh, and so a lot of work in terms of like ergonomics, like design thinking, thinking about how interaction, like social interaction works and even productivity. That sounds really, really exciting. But I understand that you're moving on to a new opportunity. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I, I moved back to the Toronto area this year and I'm and I, I left Facebook and I'm launching a studio and it's gonna be called Plan of Record. And it's gonna work with, we're gonna work with brands and agencies to help leverage emerging technologies such as AR and VR 
to create compelling and delightful experiences for users and consumers. Super exciting. So um, if you could give our listeners your top three pieces of advice about how to approach or even just think about virtual and augmented reality, what, what would they be? I think, you know, kind of like what we talked about a little bit earlier, I think, think about it in terms of people problems. Like think about like, how can we leverage these technologies to solve people problems, to help people have better experiences, to help people be more informed and be able to make better decisions about the stuff that they want to buy. I think there's going to be a great, I think like, like now, starting now, there's a great opportunity to start defining how like the AR VR experience is going to fit into our lives and into our retail experience, because there hasn't, there isn't like a dominant kind of experience of that right now. So it's the space is kind of ripe to kind of define that experience. You know, it's about connection. It's about how we connect with people and, you know, the connect to the things around us and technology helps facilitate those connections. When I was at, when I first started at Facebook, Chris Cox, he's um, head of product. He kind of greets all the newbies as we're called. And he gave this really great speech about the trajectory of connection and how like over time with technology, we are able to connect with more people faster to the point where it's in real time and at a higher fidelity. And VR, AR, VR kind of helps kind of facilitate that movement towards being able to connect with many people, doing it in real time, and definitely adding kind of a level of higher fidelity. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. If you want to understand what's possible, look for inspiration in other fields like gaming, museums, art gallery, and sports. Technology is quickly advancing, and while we can't easily achieve best-in-class ideas yet, thinking ahead will allow you to act quickly when your dream plans do become achievable. While we're waiting, simpler applications, such as using a QR code on packaging to add storytelling or product information, is a relatively simple way to start experimenting with this kind of technology. And if you want to take it a step further, an in-store virtual experience, say for a flagship, or allowing people to remotely shop the store through virtual reality, those kinds of things are possible today. Consumers are always looking for the next big thing, and when this technology becomes accessible, it will be a game changer. Thanks for listening to Think Retail. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time, we discuss how to bridge the gap between design thinking and business strategy. We hope you'll join us.